Today's episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network Finet, member SIPC. Finet is focused on helping independent advisors support their clients and reach their goals with unique, ever-evolving solutions and resources from one of the nation's largest financial institutions. Learn how you can get more with Finet at wfa.com slash independent. That's wfa.com slash independent. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Anton Honickman, CEO of MyVest, a unified wealth management platform that integrates front office managed account workflows with the middle and back office to deliver personalized portfolios at scale. Today's topic, future-proofing the next generation of wealth management firms. Anton, so great to have you on the podcast. I know we've done videos in the past. Hey, it's even still on the website. So great to have you on this format too. <laughs> great to be here. Thanks, Shannon. Always enjoy it. And we'll never drop that video from our website. <laughs> oh, well, good. <laughs> it's enshrined in time. I love it. Um, but before we dive into today's conversation, Anton, could you just share a bit about yourself, your background in financial services and your journey to my best? Sure. I grew up in South Africa and have had almost a 30-year career in the field of investments and investment technology. It started my first job out of college. I was at a multifamily office as a sort of right-hand person, uh, doing everything from filing to generating performance reports to picking up rent checks from the buildings that they owned. (laughs) Uh, And those were paper-based checks back in the days. And it was, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go figure. Uh, it was a, sort of a great foundation to learn about sort of retail finance and the breadth of activities. Uh, and then from there, I moved to uh, Barra, which is now part of MSCI, and spent 10 years there. Uh, and mostly it's around quantitative analytics, risk and portfolio construction analytics, and bringing them to broader audiences. I it was interesting as a as a person in my early 20s I was selling quantitative analytics systems to people who were probably 40 years older than me <laughs> uh you know in pinstripe suits in in the city of London and it was um learned a lot about selling and about quantitative analytics and portfolio construction and uh over the years at Barra we we looked a lot at bringing quantitative techniques into the wealth management industry and uh, it's been great to see others use the Barra analytics today, like Just Invest and Aperio and firms like that, to deliver personalized, you know, risk managed portfolios to clients in the in the wealth management industry. I, I, after Barra was acquired by Morgan Stanley and merged with MSCI, I eventually left to Barclays Global Investors. I crossed the bay in San Francisco to Barclays Global Investors. Where over a number of years, I had a number of different roles, including leading their corporate venture capital and strategic ventures group. And in that capacity, I spent a lot of time looking at alternative data vendors, wealth management startups, spent time hearing about this new company called Personal Capital, which became relevant <laughs> later on. And uh, that was fabulous. After they were acquired, Barclays Global Investors was acquired by BlackRock. I moved to a startup that we were evaluating in the venture capital group. And in that firm, we did a long, short market neutral ESG fund. 
problem with that was it was way ahead of its time. The world wasn't yet ready for ESG in, in a fund, let alone in a long, short market neutral form. So unfortunately, that startup did not succeed, but I learned a lot from the experience. And it's great to see some of the diaspora of that firm uh, at places like 55IP and Tiffin and other innovative companies in our space. At the time, uh, Bill Harris gave me a wonderful opportunity to succeed the retiring CEO of MyVest, Chuck Lewis. And I jumped at the opportunity because MyVest was a fascinating company thinking holistically about portfolio management, rebalancing, thinking about the household, which I found quite unique. And it was also an opportunity for me to shape the culture or help shape the culture of a firm in the image of Barra, which had been so influential to me earlier in my career. So fast forward 11 years or so, and I'm still doing that. Uh, I'm still working at, at MyVest, and we are sort of progressing this concept of holistic householding, tax-aware portfolio management, rebalancing, and bringing it to more and more people. And our mission is to help improve the outcomes of American savers, helping them retire and helping them send their kids to college. And our impact footprint goes grows every month. And that's what drives us. Well, I appreciate the background. I can certainly vouch for the culture at MyVest, being in the offices a few times. I know that you really pride yourself on that. Um, and it's impressive to see that you've maintained that culture as you've grown as well. So kudos to you and the MyVest team. <laughs> Uh, MyVest team is wonderful, and we've we've been acquired uh, by TIAA, and TIAA is a mission mission aligned firm, just like we are, and our, our values are highly consistent with one another, which is which is why I think it's been kept going so strongly. Absolutely, it certainly shows. So, Anton, I do want to dive into our first segment, uh, which is stats, all folks, and you know we're in another year of uncertainty with interest rate hikes, bank runs, mass layoffs, unfortunately, but businesses must really continue to rally around the constant of rising customer expectations. And as we see those expectations you know, rise, firms and their advisors need to provide effective solutions to removing friction and, and digitizing processes. So I know you're passionate about this. And one thing I want to talk about with you is workflow automation. And I came across a recent Well Solutions survey on the future of workflow automation. And they asked a diverse segment, you know, C-suite decision makers, large independent broker dealers, and RA aggregators, whether they agreed or disagreed with a series of statements around workflow automation using a scale of one to 10, one being completely disagreed, 10 completely agreed, just to give context. And the stat I want to talk about is the number seven. And they said workflow automation solutions are a quote unquote, nice to have, but not a must have. And they rank that as seven. So there seems to be strong agreement around it. But when it comes to firms of the future, this seems like this has to become a must have, right? Would love your insight around that. Right. On a, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, I think it's a 30. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of, I remember a number of years ago when all the robos were coming out and everybody was talking about digital wealth and there were these digital wealth conferences and the term became mistakenly synonymous with robo advice. Mm -hmm. And you were either a digital advisor or you weren't. And I always thought that was the wrong way of looking at it. Every firm 
every wealth management firm that survives will be digitally enabled in some way. So digital wealth as applied to, to robos was a misnomer. That was a particular way of delivering um, a, to a particular channel. But digitization, digitally enabling these firms is table stakes. I think the same way about workflow automation. In a profession where margins are increasingly compressed, it is an imperative to automate workflows, uh, both for the investor client as well as internally. And that has the opens up the promise of in, sort of enhancing organizational capacity for reducing error rates, for defrictionalizing user experiences. You know, from my perspective, it's adapt or die. You have to look at automating workflows uh, if you haven't already. Yes, I, I've actually said that ex same exact thing where it's automate or die. And, and, and that's just the truth at this point. You know, and and when it comes to achieving you know growth objectives at scale, a intelligent automation obviously makes sense for advisors and at the firm level. And yeah. it seems that we're starting to really see autonomous finance come to fruition, meaning that organic conversion of all the tech innovation we've seen over the years from AI to unprecedented access to data. Uh, to finally deliver on self-driving finance. In fact, a recent Salesforce study said 87% of business professionals in wealth management say autonomous finance will soon be critical to being a top performer in the FinServe industry. So do you think that autonomous finance is the key to future success? I, I think it's, there's a lot of semantics there. I mean, I, it all depends on how you define autonomous finance. I think we've had autonomous finance with us for a hundred years with the advent of the mutual fund. I mean, it's before you were picking stocks individually and going to your broker, you know, sure. and all of a sudden there was a collective fund, which you just invested in and they rebalanced it for you. And then if you think about innovation since then, like drips, dividend reinvestment programs, which automatically reinvested your dividends for you. Uh, the target date fund is a more recent innovation, which automatically alters your asset allocation as you age. These are all examples of autonomous finance, which are actually for the benefit of the investor community. And all that's happening is autonomous finance is getting more and more sophisticated as more and more tools become available. AI engines, more data, the things that you described. But it, in general, it's good for the profession and good for investors. You've seen it particularly in the field of pension plans, defined contribution pension plans, where pension plan design has, has um, shown that the more autonomous you can make it, the more it overcomes behavioral biases and, in, and yields better outcomes. So you've seen the SECURE Act, for example, the most recent SECURE Act is mandating auto-enrollment, auto-deferral, all of these are innovations, sort of autonomous innovations, which improve outcomes for American savers. Yes, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, another thing we're seeing too is, is really around algorithm-driven financial services, like, as you mentioned, you know, reinvesting um, derivatives, you know, and ultimately making decisions or taking action on a customer's behalf, you know, I think we'll continue to see that become more mainstream and, you know, further changing that client experience and expectation. 
And and speaking of client experiences, we're seeing it across various industries where data and analytics are being embedded into the, the UX and the UI. I would love your thoughts on this trend and how it impacts this concept of ultimately future-proofing a business. Sure. But first, let's, let's take your comment about algorithmic-driven autonomous finance. And I think we've seen that with managed accounts, the entire managed accounts industry, instead of running a collective fund for thousands of investors or hundreds of thousands of investors, you can run a managed account algorithmically on behalf of a single individual. So instead of the one-to-many model, you have a one-to-one model. And that has existed for years. Those managed accounts themselves are getting more sophisticated, in particular, this trend towards tax management for an individual and personalization. Obviously, that requires a solid data infrastructure to support that. But absolutely, algorithmic-driven autonomous finance, which I think of a managed account and as, as an example of that, is here, is growing, uh, and is certainly here to stay. Uh, there are new frontiers, though, that we are not yet even sure what they're going to look like. Uh, what is clear to me, though, is with the plethora of data that's available and the intelligent models and engines that can sit on top of that data, we're moving from discrete event-driven systems to far more dynamic systems that can adjust in far more real-time intra-period rather than on predictable calendar uh, periodicities intra-period as circumstances change. And that, I think, is a really exciting frontier. Oh, ab absolutely. So what other steps should advisors and firms be aware of or at least consider when it comes to future-proofing against you know, long-term trends that we're seeing? Well, as I mentioned earlier, certainly there is a trend towards margin compression in our industry. Uh, one way of mitigating against that is to drive scale. And many firms are doing that through consolidation, aggregating the firms. Another is, as I mentioned earlier, workflow automation. The more you can automate, the more you free up capacity, the more you can defend against margin compression. But then far more uncertain is the role that AI is going to play. It's going to disrupt our profession and many others in ways that we can't yet foresee. So then the question is, how do you future-proof against that? I don't really know because we don't know what to be future-proofing against. But I think it's imperative for all firms to invest in their data infrastructure because having a solid data foundation will give you the degrees of freedom to train natural language models, large language models for the benefit of your business to understand uh, how robotic process automation can automate your, your middle and back office to, um, and most importantly and interestingly to me is to deliver advice to investors on a dynamic, insightful basis that spans multiple data sets um, spans the life, the full life cycle of an investor rather than thinking about dis the discrete monolithic financial planning model of old. So required for that 
is an investment in your data infrastructure. And it's not just data hygiene, but it's data collection and data curation. And it's build an in insights model so that it's so that you can actually parse this plethora of data to generate insights that you can act on on behalf of your clients. All right. So what I'm hearing is automate, consolidate, integrate, and data collection. <laughs> data, data, a real investment in data as a strategic asset of the firm, as the number one strategic asset of the firm. And where does MyVest fit into the concept of future-proofing and, and what's on the roadmap currently? Well, MyVest is very squarely involved in personalizing investment solutions. And uh, th this is traditionally, or in our, in our case, centered around number one, householding, understanding the, all the assets of the household, not just an individual managed account, Number two, tax management. So understanding uh, tax losses, tax lots, losses carried forward, uh, tax budgets, uh, household structure, tax returns, and influencing the portfolio with all of that. And then with further personalizations, uh, are there goals, are there preferences, are there values, and how are they reflected in the portfolio? That is a mega trend that um, the combination of those is a mega trend, uh, driving the future of investment solutions in our data model, our data architecture, our rebalancing engine, and our workflows are all geared around supporting that. Frankly, I think we were a bit ahead of our time, but the winds of change are now blowing uh, in our favor. And so that's how, and if firms that want to future-proof against the, you know, what's evolving with customer expectations around their investment solutions, that's the area that MyVest is focused on. And speaking of personalization in a similar vein around experience, I've heard you talk before about direct indexing needing to shift from being seen as a product to an experience. And while it's certainly been a popular topic in the headlines for a few years now, it's not something that's easily accessible to every investor. You know, in your opinion, what's the hindrance there? And are you bullish or bearish about its future? I've got mixed feelings about its future. I, I think uh, direct indexing will continue to grow. I think most of the growth will come in the high net worth space. And the key to, to that debate is the realization that there's a very good alternative solution for most people, which is a portfolio of ETFs. There are ETFs are, are, are tax efficient vehicles. There are many of them that can reflect different preferences and goals for, for retail and mass affluent investors. So a, a good diversified portfolio of ETFs is a really good alternative at a really low fee. Now, right now there's a premium for direct indexing solution relative to the ETF equivalent. So the burden, the hurdle rate is that difference in fee. That difference is in fee is the tax alpha that the direct indexing solution needs to generate to justify its premium. And so I think that is what's gonna hold back a part of the broad democratization is the fact that there's a pretty good alternative out there today. Um, but in order to over time improve democratization of direct indexing, it needs to be thought of in an experience context rather than in a product context. 
In other words, the capturing of preferences, influencing the personalization, the reporting back to reflect whether those preferences have in fact been represented in the outcomes. Uh, this is all not there yet. The industry is not there yet in delivering that. Um, and until that happens, I don't see it reaching a very far broad audience. And I think that's okay because a high quality tax efficient, low cost alternative exists. In the high net worth space and ultra high net worth space, I think it's a very, very compelling value proposition uh, to have an alternative uh, for core equity exposure that is more tax efficient and generates more tax alpha. Well, that is actually a perfect segue into segment two of this episode um, when it comes to talking about um, preferences and experience. So let's dive into Ask Us Anything, Anton, where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. So let's take a look at who's dropping into the DMs this week. Um, as I mentioned, we actually had a question uh, directly around uh, just redefining client engagement. And they said, Proactive actions in the advisor tech stack have been talked about for a long time. And based on your investment in Bento Engine and advice engagement solution, I would love Anton's thoughts on the quote unquote good disruptors that are accelerating the transformation of how firms deliver investment advice and solutions, redefining client engagement and enhancing the customer experience. Riff away on advice engagement. <laughs> I love the category and I think you alluded to it, but full disclosure, I am on the board of Bento Engine, a phenomenal company in that space. And there are a number of phenomenal companies who are rethinking how advice is delivered. Not just what is the advice, but how is it delivered? Uh, there are firms like AssetMap, for example, that thinks about how to visualize the complex structure of a household and its various stakeholders and various assets and liabilities. The value of visualization has been sort of under sort of visualization has been underinvested in by our profession for many, many years and can and can certainly help uh, families understand their structure and their investments. Um, the other how aspect of the how is when do you deliver advice and how relevant is that advice? Our, our industry traditionally has been geared around very discrete periods like quarterly or semi-annual periods, annual financial plans. Um, and I, for a long time, have, have hoped that we move away from monolithic discrete events to dynamic systems that deliver advice that is relevant and that is delivered when it's needed, rather than waiting for a quarterly meeting or an annual financial plan. And companies like Bento Engine and Lumiant and Elements and FP Alpha and a number of the firms that you see in the Kitsis map are all thinking about the moments that matter in an investor's life and delivering advice around those. By the way, it doesn't only have to be investment advice. It can be non-investment advice. And doing it on in a timely basis, in a relevant basis, with great content, be it visualized or not, and in my opinion, if you change the paradigm that way to removing, sort of moving away from monolithic, discrete events to dynamic systems based on relevance and timing and moments that matter, we can drive better outcomes. We can drive more adoption. We can drive 
action that's in the interest of the investors and in the interest of the firms that's delivering that advice. And just as a follow, because I'm curious, because I've been hearing this concept of driving outcomes for a few years now. How do you consider that? How do you look at outcomes? What what is what do you think is most important when it comes to that concept? Well, first of all, I think of outcomes holistically. And I, I know from personal experience, um, investment outcomes are only one piece of the pie. Um, one thing we've learned in the last few years is that financial wellness and mental wellness and frankly, physical wellness are all interrelated. I would add a, another leg to that stool, which is organizational wellness. That's a new where, one. Yeah. I mean, where is your paperwork? Do, do you have the right paperwork in place? Is your family protected should something happen to you? Do people know what to do should something happen to you? And there's really interesting firms, Everplans, um, paperwork in the credit union space that are thinking about how do, how do people organize their lives? And if you think about advice engagement, it can highlight if you, there are some gaps in that organizational structure and nudge you to take action. So it's all around behavioral psychology. It's all around compelling digital experiences. It's all about making sure people understand. You know, I, I think historically there's been this big um, sort of divide between the principal and the agent. <laughs> and this brings the advisor and the investor closer together. It, it helps investors and their families understand what they need to do. It tells them, in, in an explainable, often visualized way, what to do when. And frankly, we hadn't focused on that historically as a profession. We'd focused on first selling product for commission, and then we, we moved towards uh, fee-based advice, which was a critical step in this direction. Right. It needed to be backed up with dynamic advice that was not only around investments, and that was um, data-driven, just in time, meet the investor where they are rather than requiring them to come physically into your wood paneled office. So delivered through, through various digital means. Um, I think the future is so bright if we embrace this concept. I've often had trouble with this term planning led firms. Many firms pride themselves on being planning led. And to me that connotates this more traditional heavyweight financial planning process. I'd rather a firm be advice-led where advice itself, lowercase a, is around dynamic, um, data-driven, just-in-time, relevant advice. And that's what the advice engagement community uh, is, is tackling. Absolutely. And you alluded to it um, in your answer just now, but we actually had a question too around, do you think the pandemic has fueled the focus on financial wellness? And, you know, I might even argue that, you know, with or without the pandemic, this was going to, to happen regardless of focus on financial wellness. But what do you think are the biggest impacts? Well, I mean, a lot has been said about the impact of the pandemic on, on the future of work. It certainly moved people into remote settings, which has changed business models, sort of advice delivery professions broadly have been forced into more of a remote delivery model. I think that's a good thing. I think it 
it's it doesn't necessarily have to dehumanize an industry. I do think we need to recognize the human element of what we do and infuse that into uh, advice engagement. But um, it did, I think the pandemic did underscore and elevate the role of mental health. And so the combination of mental health and and remote digital delivery, remote experiences is all driving change, um, mostly for the better. But I do think there are some cautionary tales. You know, social isolation, uh, the potential for dehumanization, which we should ward against. Um, and I think, frankly, more than the pandemic, AI is going to challenge those notions more than anything ever has. I I would absolutely agree with that. Um, so we'll have to do a follow up episode <laughs> once once we see AI and more kind of practical use cases come about. Um, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. But I do appreciate you being put on the spot and your insightful answers around this segment. Um, but we have come to our our final section, which is stack it or whack it, and it's my personal favorite way to wrap up the podcast, where I'm going to throw out a few technologies. And be warned, they're not always well tech related. And you okay. tell me if they are essentially worth the hype or not. So the first one, I want you to stack or whack cryptocurrencies. Are you in it for the long game or is it overrated at this point? <laughs> I would whack it. Uh, I would whack cryptocurrencies, but I'm a fan of the underlying blockchain technologies and the promise that they could offer. Yeah, I, I mean, likewise, you look, I've, I've dabbled in cryptocurrencies just because I want to learn more and am curious about it. Um, but also, I agree with, between smart contracts and blockchain, if we're actually going to see that all come to fruition at some point, and really, especially like in the banking sector, I can imagine that blockchain would have a huge impact. Yep. All uh, right. In, likewise, and in wealth, I think it's huge yes. application for distributed ledgers and, and sort mm -hmm. of um topic for another day <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right number two predictive analytics a good growth tactic or a frustration point for firms that don't necessarily have good data hygiene yeah i mean i think good data hygiene and good data curation and data organization is a necessary condition for um predictive analytics and i i would i would stack it i think it's like we said earlier on, advice engagement could be enhanced through certain predictive analytics. I think if you're running a firm, you need more insights on your data and some some of those insights could be predictive. All right. I love it. One whack and one stack. <laughs> Anton, pleasure speaking with you on this episode. Please feel free to tell listeners where they can find out more about you and what you're working on at MyVest. I will do. Check out myvest.com. Email me directly. Shannon, always a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for your time and be sure to like and subscribe to the WealthStack podcast on all major podcasting platforms and follow all things WealthStack on wealthmanagement.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And thank you all for tuning in today.
Today's episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network Finet, member SIPC. Finet is focused on helping independent advisors support their clients and reach their goals with unique, ever-evolving solutions and resources from one of the nation's largest financial institutions. Learn how you can get more with Finet at wfa.com independent. That's wfa.com independent.